Well, welcome back, everybody, to Creep Time, the podcast with Silas Dean and Stu. Hi, Stu. How are you? Well, hi, Silas. I'm good. How are you? I'm good, baby. There's <laughs> something I had this in my notes because I wrote it when I was like doing research for this earlier. I said, bring this up. There's something in the air. Could you like have me put away? Baby, like, have me put down. <laughs> there is something in the air, though. I don't know what it is. I think <laughs> to write it down in my notebook. Go bring it up. There's something in the air, <laughs> <laughs> baby. I don't know what it is, but I feel it. It's. I don't know if it's. I mean, I don't know what I meant when I wrote that note. Maybe it was like mischief, or maybe it was just like a change, a shift, a great shift that's coming. That's what I think it was. But yeah, for today. Okay, I want I want, to, um, I want you to know that what? when you said that, what? Oh wait, I th- I feel like we have like a delay or something because you were like, "There's something in the air." You went completely frozen on me. <laughs> Did I? Oh wait, yeah. can you hear me now? Do I sound okay? I, yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Perfect. Well, that was. <laughs> I'm keeping. I guess... <laughs> I'm keeping all that in. I'm keeping Baby, all that in. <laughs> I was just saying. I think it was spirit. That's what's in the air. I said there's a shift and it quite literally shifted my time back a few seconds. Literally. Wait, what were you going to say? I cut you off. Maybe I can't even remember because I just, you said there's something in the air and it legitimately went, "Ah." and I was like, okay, spirit. That is spirit. Yeah. That's Teresa Caputo coming in here looking for a spirit. But I wanted to bring something to you because I wanted to hearken back to some of our classic days. With a very eerie disappearance. Oh. It's been a minute. Hell yes. I've been craving um, one and, of these. Uh, me too, which is weird. And actually, when we were um, chatting with Lauren, hi, Lauren, um, when she was like, I love the unsolved disappearance ones, I was like, you know, I do too. And I want to go back to that. So I ended up looking for some and I found one that I actually didn't know very much about. Have you heard anything about this mystery of the Springfield Three? Not to be confused with the Yuba County Five. (laughs) The Springfield Three. I don't think I have. So for a top line on this, it's kind of a disturbing case, but not really in the sense that there's anything sinister that's found. It's more so about what wasn't found. So this was back in 1992 when a call came in to report three women that had mysteriously gone missing from their home in the middle of the night. It was actually the home of just two of the women, mother and daughter, and a friend of hers. What was very odd about the circumstance is that in this woman's home, Cheryl Levitt, that was the mother, they discovered that all three women had left all of their belongings in place, including cash on hand. Their cars were also in the driveway. There was no immediate sign of struggle in or outside of the home except for a broken... um, globe over like a a porch light bulb you ever seen one of those like porch lights that has like the glass bulb or the glass like bowl over the bulb yes it's kind of like mid-century looking like mid-century modern yeah very yeah very mid-century modern that was smashed but not the bulb itself and there was no real explanation for that it's kind of strange there was no blood there was no debris found at the scene and while the first person who was at that scene at the home was trying to piece together okay, what happened here? They also noticed that the dog was left there. The dog was basically cowering in a corner, shaking in fear. Like that dog saw something in that house. Something went down. For this little dog. The dog's name was Cinnamon. That's an irrelevant detail, but I just wanted to say it. Baby, you know what I say about the dogs? <laughs> well, the dogs know, baby. The dogs know. The dogs always know. I've got some stories where dogs have actually solved crimes. We should do a whole, we'll do a whole series on that later oh, on. Oh, I would love that. <laughs> but then there was something that was even more bizarre that was discovered. Well, there's actually a couple of things that happened before this. But eventually, the next person who would arrive to the home, they go and check the answering machine to which there was a message that was left. But before I go any further about what that message was, are you hooked already? 
I am. Ooh, this is weird. Like, ooh, it's very spooky. Weird. Okay. Yeah, well, it's. I mean, it's it's very strange because it's over thirty years old at this point. Like, it happened in nineteen ninety two. So, even to this day, there's like not a shred of evidence anywhere about this case. We have no idea what happened to these women. It's a true disappearance. And I do have theories. I do have suspects that we're going to talk through at the end. But before we dive in, I guess we should just give a top line, um, like, thank you to everybody. Thank you for stopping by to listen to Creep Time. We are so appreciative that you guys stopped by to come hang out with us for a Friday episode. We come out with new episodes every Friday for those who are new and don't know. I would also say, on behalf of Stu and I, we do not want you to miss out on any of the future episodes. So please, please make sure that you are following and subscribed to the podcast and make sure that you turn on the bell notification so that when we we drop, (laughs) I'm like slurring. (laughs) So when we droop. (laughs) I'm like, so when we droop, new episodes, baby. <laughs> that, I, uh, I can't stop doing that um that Dale voice from Roni. <laughs> Maybe stop. you can get her like little cookies or something. I it's so love, attractive. I love that hairstyle <laughs> on you. It's very attractive. It's very attractive. <laughs> if we're gonna droop something. <laughs> so yes, if we do drop new episodes, we want you guys to be the first to catch them because we might have some surprises coming up in the months to come. I don't know. Do you know? I don't. So make sure you turn on the bell notification. Thank you again to everybody who continues to leave us positive reviews to help this show. You have no idea how much it really does help to boost creep time in the algorithm for everyone so that more importantly, all of these stories can get heard by more people. But I will also say thank you to those who continue to push the word of mouth of this podcast because we see you on Reddit commenting about the show. You're on Instagram sharing stories about the show. You tell your friends, your family, you get people hooked into it. More eyes and ears on these stories is always a good thing. So thank you so much for helping this show to get to where it's at. We're just very appreciative. Yes. Thank you all so much. Oh, my gosh. The support has been truly like so sweet. Maybe that's what's in the air. I feel the creepers just a little more each day. (laughs) It felt more mischievous to me. but (laughs) (laughs) Well, the creepers are mischievous. They are. They are deep sleuths, I've realized. I, the problem is, is like, they're a little too smart because, like I said, sometimes like some of the stuff that we're planning, they crack early on Reddit. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's like I go into panic mode. I don't know what to do. <laughs> they're, they grow stronger each day. <laughs> they really, yeah, they're like, that's the thing. Like, they're getting up there in the numbers. So, like, they grow, they're like stronger in packs. Like, they're like <laughs> joining forces and like bouncing ideas off each other, like the little sleuths they are. And I'm like, oh my God. I love that. We have to, we have to keep like secret docs now and stuff. So, anyway, <laughs> thank you guys so much. And with that, I think we're good to dive into this story. Do you feel ready? I'm ready. Okay. So, maybe I'm just going to give you like a little bit of backstory. I won't get into it too deep about just like what the setting is, who these women were, because I feel like that'll help set things up a little bit. But really, the crux of this is going to be running through the timeline. <gasps> Do you hear that? Okay, hear that's, that? a new, that's a new song. <laughs> that's not the ice cream man. That's somebody else. What is that? I don't... I think he's a guy who goes around on like a bike. Hold on. Okay, something is definitely in the air. How do we have a brand new ice cream truck man that's not an ice cream truck man? <laughs> he he goes Jingle. around like it's like a little bike that's connected to um like a cart that he pulls in the back and he has like cut up fruit and stuff in there. He's like a little he's like a street vendor. I... Listen, I've I've gone out and I've gotten watermelons several times. It's delicious. <laughs> oh my god, that sounds amazing actually. It's, and it's always ice cold. It's so oh. good. Do they ever put the tagine on it? Is that what it is? That you know how you that, say that? I think it's, is it tahine or tagine? The like, I think, it, little... I, think it's ta- I think it's tahine. I don't think it's tagine. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, baby. We don't all live in Los Angeles. <laughs> I was like, t- did they put the tagine on it? You know, oh my God. Your hair is so attractive that way. They put a little so tagine on the appetizer. Oh man, creepers, don't crucify me. I knew that. I took Spanish. I knew that. Girl, uh, baby, <laughs> how many years? <laughs> Spanish it's one been, and two, middle school uh, one and two, baby. It's been a long time. 
<laughs> all right. Well, the next sponsor of this podcast will be Duolingo so we can all brush up together. <laughs> um, I To answer your question, they do have it, but I, I usually don't get it. Uh, not because it's like spicy or anything, but I generally don't do well with like spice even at a low level. So it's it's too much for me. God, I hear, I hear dogs outside. Like everything's going crazy out there. You spoke this into existence. You said something's in the air. But I'm, I'm just calling it as I feel it, you know? Yeah. It's in my uh-huh. bones. I so, feel it. <clears throat> let's jump into this backstory. I'll simmer my ADHD ass down. <laughs> so here is the setup of the mystery and who these three women were. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So first, I'm just going to run through kind of the physical descriptions and profiles that were eventually collected by the police that were put out when they were announced as missing people. So there's Cheryl Elizabeth Levitt. She is the mother in this case, the oldest woman. She's 47 at the time of her disappearance. And one thing I would call out is that from these descriptions... They're all very small women. They're all like between five feet and five three and very thin. So a lot of people were like, I mean, if this was a kidnapping or something, wouldn't they be able to like fight off whoever came to the home? And I'm like, they're pretty small people, but maybe they would. So she was described five feet tall, 110 pounds. She has short, light blonde hair and brown eyes and pierced ears. She is actually well known in the community because she was a cosmetologist. She was a hairdresser at a local salon, single mother reportedly very close with her daughter, Suzanne Elizabeth Streeter. Now, people would call her Susie. So Streeter was just 19 years old. She stood at 5 feet 2 inches, 102 pounds, and she had shoulder-length blonde hair, brown eyes. Her distinguishable marks, as described in her missing persons report, were a scar on her upper right forearm, a small mole in the left corner of her mouth, and pierced ears. And then we have the third girl who went missing. This is Stacy Kathleen McCall. She was just 18 years old when she disappeared, stood at five feet, three inches, and she was 120 pounds with long, dark blonde hair and light colored eyes. So like I said, uh, Cheryl is Suzanne, Susie's mother. And then this is Susie's friend who stayed over for the night. So I'm trying to see if there's any other details that would be useful to throw in here before we actually get into the timeline. I mean, you have the context of who they are to each other, but to give you some setup, they had just graduated high school. Like, graduation was June 6th, so technically they're out the night before the two girls are going to a graduation party and they disappear by the following morning, June 7th. All three women are gone. So we're going to piece together a little bit. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was like, so we're going to piece this together. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, so remind me. So they go off for their graduation party. When does the mom come into the picture? Well, I was going to run through the whole timeline starting oh, gotcha. from the okay. graduation. Yeah. Okay, so she wasn't with them like throughout the evening. No, 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 no. Okay. Yeah, she's okay. she's not at the graduation party. What basically had happened is they walked to graduation and then they all went to their like separate families to go out for dinner because they had family that was in town for the graduation. And then the two girls went off to a friend's house for a party and they were supposed to like drive to Missouri that, or sorry, drive to um, Branson, Missouri that night. Uh, But they ended up not doing that. Cheryl, the mother, hairstylist, she's like home after the dinner. Like she's like home all night. They eventually go back to that house and stay the night. And then by morning, all three are missing. Eerie. Feels eerie. Well, well, it feels you like have any- this person has a type. I mean, well, it's, there's a lot. Of, it's interesting you bring that up because there's a lot of questions about, okay, well, maybe I should get into the timeline because this will yeah. make more sense once I tell you about like what the intent of the girls was, like where they were going to stay that night. Because they actually, what's crazy about this is that they go missing from the home, but they actually weren't even supposed to stay over at the home that night. Mm, okay. So is the, is the question here, like, were they collateral? In the mother getting abducted. Wow. Okay. I'm excited to hear how this all breaks down. 
that's dark to say you're excited, baby. Not excited. Not excited. (laughs) Ready ready to hear it. Sorry. I realized that as it came out of my mouth. I'm just teasing. I'm sorry. (laughs) All right, creepers. Let's get into it. So let's go through the timeline. It was graduation night. This is June 6th. Don't forget, it's 1992. So no cell phones in this world. Um, The girls attend high school graduation. And I believe there's footage of them there. And then, like I said, they go off with their respective families for dinner. They've got relatives in town to celebrate. Now, the after plan is that they're all going to head to this house party, right? This is being hosted by one of their friends named Janelle Kirby. So the plan is that basically they're going to party at Janelle's house, right? Her boyfriend's going to be there too. And then late that night, they're planning to basically drive out to Branson, Missouri, and they're going to crash that night at a motel because the next morning they want to go to the specific water park. It kind of seemed, I mean, from reading it, it was the 90s, but it seemed like a bad idea from the get-go. I was like, why would you go to someone's house? Presumably, you're going there to, like, drink a bit, and then you're like, okay, and then come midnight, (laughs) we're going to go drive all the way to Branson, Missouri, so we can go to a water park the next day. It's like, just wait till the morning, right? Right. And I feel like a lot of times with graduation parties, like, part of the whole thing is that you, like, stay at some house, like, together, sort of. So that was already kind of... Odd. What we so? What do you mean? Like, say. Well, like I know that there was. It was not me, but I knew there were like certain graduation parties where like you would pick one person's house, and then like Mm -hmm. the parents would say they would say like if people need to like stay over here in case people you know get up to no good. Like I knew that of parties (laughs) where people I knew of parties because they wanted to make sure you weren't doing that very thing where you were. Um, oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's better to be like honest with your kid to say like, don't try to like pull one over on me and like drink and drive. Like you should always give them the option. I'll never forget my driving instructor, Sebi. Shout out to you, Sebi. He said, he's like, I have an agreement with my daughter. He was like, she's young. She's in high school. He's like, but I know things happen. And if she is somewhere and she's drinking underage, I don't ever want her to get behind the wheel. You can call me any time of night. Just stay put and I will come get you. I will not penalize you for it. You know, it's more important to me that you get home safe and that you're not behind the wheel than it is that you try to like keep a secret from me and then make a bad decision. And oh, I thought that one, was so smart. 100%. I mean, my my dad was the same way. I felt like he was on speed dial anytime, but you got to be. Yeah. You got to be. I listen, I I had to phone home one night when I I got up to no good. <laughs> but for a very different reason. <laughs> uh, can I tell this story real quick before we get oh my into God. it? Yes. Oh, God, I might regret it. So <clears throat> I don't want anyone who's listening to think ill of me because I was a good child. But in high school, we ended up having a truck party. Basically, we had like a little midnight tailgate um, in this like abandoned condominium parking lot. We were getting up to no good in that parking lot as high schoolers. <laughs> but the plan was, I mean, we had no intentions to drive or anything. We were going to like basically crash overnight like in the bed of the truck (laughs) like i don't know what we were thought we were doing but we were there we were drinking we were partaking in other things and all of a sudden i'll never forget it somebody just goes cops and a cop pulled in to (gasps) the part like clearly somebody saw us from afar and was like there are some kids in a parking lot who are just up to no good cop came we bolt for the woods, which led nowhere but to a highway, a fenced highway. Oh, so then, God. So we're running through the woods, and all of a sudden, the cop goes, freeze, and shines like a big spotlight on the woods. And somebody goes, dive. We all just jumped <laughs> flat to the ground, hit the ground, like face first to the mud. To the mud, honey. Oh, and my I, God. I, I, I thought to myself, I was like, just lay flat, and they won't see you. And then the cops were like trying to like go in with flashlights and find us. And they said, come out or we're going to tase you. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not getting tased. So (laughs) we all then had to like reluctantly get up and like (laughs) we had to walk to the parking lot in shame. And they didn't know what was going on and like why we were running from them. Because we were like in height, we were like 16. So they made us get on the pavement, face down on the pavement, hands behind the back, cuffed. (gasps) It was, Sue, it was crazy. I would have passed away at oh, that point. I will never forget like, like looking over jail. I was looking over at my friend Mallory and she was just sobbing on the pavement. Aww. And I was just like, how did we get here? How did we get? And at the t- 
They were the cops were being real dramatic, like took all the bottles of booze. They were smashing them. And I'm like, you can just confiscate them. You don't have to smash them. Well, like, baby, glass everywhere. Was it county? Absolutely. Of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who else is going to cuff Silas Dean but county? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so then. Long story short, they basically gave us the out because we were minors and they were like, you have to phone your parents, arguably just as humiliating as us getting arrested. So we had to phone home and people had to come pick us up. And I will never forget friends of mine, their parents showing up and seeing me and them going, is that Silas? Oh, my God. Like, like it like ruined their image of me in their mind that I was I was at this <sighs> rowdy, like midnight tailgate with like paraphernalia. <laughs> It ruined it. Oh, God. I mean, can't you let loose just a little bit in high school? We, yeah, I mean, we, but it was, I, what was really nice about it was that when my family came and you like got picked up, I really didn't get in trouble because it was clear that like we had no intentions to drive. It was just more of like <laughs> head shaking of like, how could you be so stupid as to do this yeah. in the parking lot? <laughs> I have a very similar story, but I'll I'll save it for an after dark. <laughs> You're going to take okay. We'll table it for after dark. By the way, guys, catch Creep Time After Dark after the show because the after show is going to be coming out tomorrow or whenever this episode just this episode will drop on Friday. Saturday is when after dark come after dark. <laughs> like I can't speak today. <laughs> Saturday is when after dark comes out. After after dark and we droop. Wait, wait we droop after dark. Please. This is how we reveal that I just have like a hidden speech impediment. I'm sweating. All right. So back into the story. So where did we leave off? What, what do you remember? Because I just went on a tangent. <laughs> um, okay. So they, the girls have, they've just gone, they're going to go to their graduation party and then they're going to go to oh, a yeah, motel yeah. because they want to go to the water park the next right, day. Right. The water park in the morning. So timeline wise, let's just talk about that party. So they're at the party at least through like 9, 930. And then by 10 p.m., Stacy actually calls her mom Janice and she's like, you know, she's like, we're actually not going to drive to Branson tonight like we thought we were. She's like, because the party's kind of still going and I'm assuming they had a, a bit too much to drink. She's like, we're going to go crash at Susie's place um, for the night. And her mom's like, okay, cool. It's actually smart. I like that idea. It's much better. Now, people at the party, I guess, reportedly saw the girls last at around 1 to 2 a.m. That was when they crossed the threshold where in the next day, June 7th, and like you always say, nothing good happens after 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. Nothing. So this is when Susie, oh my God, Susie and Stacy, <laughs> they head over to Susie's home where her mother, Cheryl, is already there. She's already in bed and they're going to spend the night. So their plan is, is that in the morning, they'll just like reconvene with Janelle and then they'll drive to Branson together in the a.m. No other reports of any suspicious activity or anybody seeing them in the middle of the night, at least after 2 a.m., were ever reported. Now, by the next morning, Janelle wakes up at her home and she decided to ring Susie and Stacy at Susie's house. And she just assumed that maybe they like slept in and forgot to call her. But she's like, we got to get a move on. Like, we got to drive to Branson. Nobody answers the phone. So initially, she's still thinking she's like, oh, my God, she's like, they're sleeping in. So she ends up getting in her car with her boyfriend because she's going to drive over there to be like, we've got to like get things together. If we're going to like make this happen and get on the road. So they arrive. And the first thing they notice is that smashed bulb on the outside porch light. They took it as a sign that something seemed a little bit off here. And they thought it was strange that nobody would have cleaned that up or like, how, how, you know, how would we explain that? It seemed deliberate. Mm -hmm. So they go into the home. Their initial walkthrough is kind of confusing because as they enter, they check all of the bedrooms. Not a soul is in that house except for the dog. Cheryl, the mother's bed, and Susie's bed had both been slept in. And there was also evidence in the bathroom that the girls definitely came home the night before and they took off their makeup, they took off their jewelry. Like they came home, they got ready for bed, they got into bed. It also seemed clear that they were in bed at the time that they vanished because there was a book that was found at the side of the bed or possibly I think on the bed that was open like it was like mid-read that somebody put the book down and one of the bedroom TVs was on in one of the rooms but outside of that there's no evidence of a struggle a confrontation a fight like nothing in the home 
as if they were in bed and got up and then like fought somebody. It was as if they were in bed, got up, and then just walked out on foot. Because don't forget, not only are there cars outside, but inside the home, all of their jewelry, all of their money, to which I think Susie or Stacy had like $900 on them from graduation money, cash, cash money. Their purses are there, like every single bit of their person was there except for them. So all we've got is this very unnerved dog who seems to be cowering like something happened. So then we get something else here. One little last bit before Janelle actually leaves the house. She's feeling kind of uneasy. It's very unusual. And at this point, by the time she's there with her boyfriend, it's already the afternoon. So she's feeling like something might be a little wrong, but she clocked inside Susie's room something that seemed strange to her that maybe wouldn't seem strange to the average person. I don't know if I would have noticed this, but I think she was in like sleuth mode of like, what's going on here? She noticed that the blinds in Susie's room were like partially cracked open from the inside. And the Mm. only way she could describe it was almost like closed blinds that somebody used their fingers to like pry open from the inside to look to the backyard, like peer through the window. Right. Mm. I was like, that's. That's eerie to me. I don't know why I could visualize it so clearly. Yeah. So like when she came in, it it looked like it was almost like broken up, like you had put your finger in it and kind of broken it and it like hadn't gone back down. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Like somebody had used their fingers to separate the blinds so they could look through and look to the backyard from the inside, like from the bedroom to see like, is somebody outside? Oh, that's so Isn't freaky. That's so chilling. So then while she's there, this is where things start to get dark and strange. The phone starts to ring. Allegedly, it rang two times. She answered both. On the other line was a man whose voice she did not recognize. And according to her story, he just started to make very crude and sick sexual comments over the phone. But she's still not thinking that something dark and nefarious has gone down. She actually thought it was a prank call, which was pretty common, I guess, for this town. I read about it on Reddit because what they did for the high school was they would distribute like little local phone books of all of the high school, like uh, student, like home phone numbers. So high schoolers, when they have like an untapped resource like that, they're going to just prank call nonstop. So initially, I think that's what she thought it was. It was somebody calling to make like sexual comments over the phone. She hung up the phone and eventually leaves. But that still always like struck me as strange when I was reading the story. I was like, something about those two phone calls feels weird. Well, and also kind of odd that she picked up the phone. I don't know that I would have done that. I, well, I mean, she think about it. She's already like crossed the threshold where she's entered the home without anyone yeah. being in there. Like she's going through the, like the mother's bedroom. So clearly she's in a state where she's like, something's off and maybe she thought if she was going to pick up the phone that it could have been one of the girls like trying to call there to see yeah like, yeah oh maybe janelle's already like showed up or something that's so weird and just to pick it up and that be the call it, like how unsettling already and then right. that extra layer is just gross well she it's strange because she said that the voice kind of sounded teenish was the word she used so she that's why she thought it would be a prank call but I mean, mm. the thing is, the girls, anybody that they knew, any men that they knew were probably close to their age, 18, 19. So they were teens, you know? Right. Whether it was harmless or it was actually connected to their disappearance. So she ends up leaving, not really assuming the worst, but possibly just assuming that she's overthinking it and that the girls are already out for some reason and maybe they already left for Branson or something. Like she, for whatever reason, just seems like She seems like she doesn't want to believe that this is as bad as it is. Now, the house basically sits empty all day until eventually Janice, this is Stacy's mom, she was the friend who slept over. She found it odd that she did not hear from her daughter all day. So she tried, you know, to call the house a couple of times. Can't reach anybody. And by the time it rolls around to 7.30 p.m., she's like, I'm going to go over there. Something's wrong. And I just want to bring this up real quick because originally, like I said, they were supposed to stay over janelle's that night they were going to stay there if they were going to drive to branson that night but then originally when they canceled that they were like maybe we should just stay at janelle's but janelle actually had a lot of family from out of town over so the house was pretty crowded which was ultimately why last minute around 2 a.m 
they decided, oh, we're actually going to go to Susie's and stay at her place tonight because she's got room. So they were never supposed to be there. They were never supposed to be at Susie's place. Weird. Very weird. So Janice, the mother, she gets to the home. Again, she finds it in a strange state. She notices that Stacy's clothes, which she recognized, were folded neatly on the bed. She also saw that there was a, a message on the answering machine. And this has been a very big point of contention in this case because the original two calls that came in that Janelle had answered seemed like a prank call. They seemed teenish. This message on the answering machine, according to Janice, was very different. She said it was a man's voice, possibly an older man, and it seemed strange and somehow could be connected. But what's problematic about this is that in her trying to recall this, it's a bit fuzzy because she accidentally, in the midst of playing it, deleted the message, (gasps) which could have been one of our only clues into what actually happened here. And because of that, they couldn't actually trace like where it came from officially. And the only thing they could really piece together timeline-wise about these phone calls is that the very first phone call that came into the home came in at around 8 in the morning, we think. Okay. How how we doing so far? (laughs) Can I ask a question? Is there a father in the picture? No. So um, Cheryl is a single mom. But okay. there was, there was, um, this is what I'm going to get into with the suspects and theories. There was a son. So Susie actually has a brother. I think his name was Brett or Brent. He was out of the picture because he was struggling with alcoholism and they had recently cut him out of their life. So originally when this disappearance went down, look to the family first. And, you know, if he was recently cut out of their life, he might've had, um, reason, you know, to do something nefarious. Sure. He, he had a pretty credible alibi. So he's kind of etched out of possibility here. And I think he actually agreed to a polygraph test, which he passed. Interesting. Okay. But, and so like the father is, we don't know where he is. Like we, he's totally out of the picture. Yeah. I think, I don't think he was really a part of their lives for, for much of this whatsoever. Gotcha. Okay. Because I was thinking like, why take the mom to, um, I, I, I'm sure like they could have been collateral to her, but it's almost if you're, if we're coming at the angle of like two young kind of vibrant women and if like, you know, a sexual component to it or whatever, like mm-hmm. why take the mom if she's in a separate room? And so it felt like a familial thing, potentially. You see, I took the opposite approach because it actually seemed to me like the mom was who was taken and the girls were collateral. Oh. Because, again, who would have known that they were staying there that night? They weren't supposed to. It wasn't their plan. Well, They were supposed they to were be at somebody followed. else's home. Well, that's the thing. We don't actually know. And there's some, there's some history here to suggest that Susie at least had a bad track record with some sketchy guys. Mm. So let's move into the next phase of the story. So then I would say we get to the part of this case, which is probably the most frustrating (laughs) because county is going to come into play. Once (sighs) there is this knowledge, because don't forget Janice has gone over. She's now aware that her daughter and her daughter's friend and mother are all missing. Nobody's heard from them all day. But once like all the families get clued into this, because don't forget there are families from like out of town who have come in for this graduation. It is nonstop foot traffic into the home before cops can actually come and secure it. 18 to 20 different people roamed the house after this was reported, like family, Mm. disrupting basically everything, contaminating everything in the crime scene. If something bad happens, people, stay out and don't let anybody in. (laughs) Just get out of the location. But to make matters worse, because county always does, the cops showed up. These rookies, they decided to clean up the clutter of the home a little bit while they were filing their report, completely compromising the entirety of the scene. So the only true account of what this place looked like kind of rests with Janelle and her boyfriend because they were technically the first to actually get into the home the morning of. I did not see County in this instance being cleanly. I did not. See, that was not on my bingo card for 2024. Just, like <laughs> with without, county. without fail, they just always find a way. 
it's it's actually so stupid like to be like in a home of a potential crime scene that you haven't secured while filing the report that you start to just like clean up out of like boredom or nervousness like they're tidying up the home and it's like this is a crime scene oh my god (sighs) so people actually i think this case is like talked about a lot in um like uh college like forensics programs about like how a scene can be so poorly secured and like how sometimes you can't even trust like the first responding officers to really secure a scene because they could accidentally disrupt a scene if they don't have knowledge to keep things preserved. <laughs> Sorry. I'm I start to visualize two county police members with feather dusters just cleaning everything up as they went and I have got sidetracked in my brain. Baby it's us. It's us, <laughs> it's us in uniform. It's Madam Ham. Madam Ham. No, Madam Ham is the warden <laughs> of the right. prison. We're, we're, we're just like COs or something. But oh we God. show up donut crust on the lips and we're just Swiffer and out of nervousness. <laughs> yeah, but it's frustrating. I mean, of course, yeah. it's and thankfully, I mean, this is a very strange case once it hits the news. And I think the FBI gets involved pretty quick and they treat this as a potential kidnapping because how else could we explain it? even though we don't really have a lot of evidence that it was a kidnapping. Like, we don't have any real, like, ric- like written records or reports of intent, something that could make it credible that a person planned to come in and capture all three of these women or even one of these women. But then we do get a witness, which is, this is really interesting. It was a person who came forward, and this was a credible account. They claimed to have witnessed on the morning of June 7th, so this is the morning that they're officially gone, seeing Susie behind the wheel of a silver green van. And the witness claimed that she looked distraught. And what was unseen was a male voice from the back seat that was shouting demands at her, like, don't do anything stupid. (gasps) This witness claimed that they saw this at 6.30 a.m. that morning. And I just want to say, this witness came forward in July. So they took a whole month before they decided that this could be helpful. (laughs) It's we like haven't the seen that of. before. <laughs> like, what, like this is what kills me. It's like, yeah. what, what made you sit on that for a month where you're like, I don't know. Just why? It's the bystander effect. But they saw, I mean, first of all, that's like not even an ambiguous situation. Like if you're seeing a girl driving a van crying and you hear a man's voice in the back saying, don't do anything stupid. Something bad is happening in front of you. Yeah. You know? I know creepers are on the other end of this, and they're like, talk your shit, baby. What time is it? <laughs> 34, 30. Good. <laughs> I, that's my favorite thing I saw on Reddit recently. They go, no, talk your shit, baby. <laughs> Whenever I'm like, I don't want to pass judgment on the parents, they're like, do it. <laughs> unless unless it's me and I say I'm excited to hear about the case. <laughs> oh, you're right. Yeah. I had to check you real quick. <laughs> Canceled. Can- absolutely. Uh, Canceled. Dead and buried. So Dead and buried. This witness, they claimed, let's see. Oh, oh, sorry. This is another witness statement. Okay, wait. So where did we just leave off? Yeah, the 6.30 a.m. witness statement. They saw this girl, Susie, behind the wheel of this van, mysterious van. Police actually went to a great length. They found what they thought could be a close match to the van and actually parked basically a duplicate vehicle of it in front of the police station with like a call this number to report if you've seen this van. Valiant effort. Not sure how many people that would reach because I can't imagine all of the people who were in Springfield were like, I I can't imagine this perpetrator stayed in Springfield all too long with that van after abducting three women, right? Right. So then we get another witness who would come forward. I'm not exactly sure when their statement came forward, but they claimed, I was kind of confused about this, if it happened the night they went missing, like after the party or if it was like the night of the following day. But they said they saw all three women at like a diner, steakhouse or something between 1 to 2 a.m. And they were sitting with three men, three unidentified men at a table. And this witness claimed that one of the younger girls looked blackout drunk at the table, possibly drugged. So this would be the only lead that we really have in what happened to these women. Because the case effectively goes cold. And I think by 1997, just five years later, at least two of them are officially reported dead. I believe Cheryl and her daughter, Susie. Mm. 
That's a really interesting uh, witness statement because I almost thought for a second, I'm like, did they get home and maybe the mom said, oh my God, you guys, like you you all need to get like food in your stomachs to like soak oh. this up. And then they like go to, you know, the diner and then that's where someone weird, or maybe if there's three men there, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I don't really know enough about the mom and kind of like her, you know, how she would approach mm-hmm. that situation. But like, if there were three men that saw them and they left, I mean, they could have followed all three of them back to the house. Totally. So, well, what was odd about that? So that's an interesting approach. I actually, I kind of thought about that. The only thing that discredits it is all of their money and their purses was found in the home and left. Mm. So if it was a scenario of like, they came back to the home because there's evidence they came back to the home, the girls came in, they got undressed, they took off their makeup, took off their jewelry, and the mother was already in bed. Like both beds were unmade and slept in. TV was on. You were sort of suggesting like, did they get up and then like go out in their car and then drive to the diner to get some food for one of the girls if she was like like too drunk? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I Well, I, I was thinking more about it. Like they got home and then the mom was like, oh my God, y'all, like we need to like get some food in your stomachs or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and but- then these three men they encounter, they basically, do they like follow them back to the house and then walk them in and then yeah. they'll like drop your bags, leave everything here? Yeah, but I but us. the the bed is kind of throwing me off that it's unmade. But also, it could be that you know they leave the diner and the mm-hmm. men kind of stay back for a little bit, and then they follow them. Kind of, you know, they creep and they don't actually like come into the house until they decide to come in. If that makes sense, like they kind of stalk them, and it does make sense. Which would also explain yeah. why the blinds were disrupted. Like somebody looking out the window to be like, "There's somebody in the backyard." Kind of. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. The only thing that kind of throws this off is that I'm not actually sure what time and day this witness statement pertains to. Like Mm -hmm. it either happened the night of the graduation when they were drinking or it was the following day, which could almost suggest something even darker that like one of the girls had been forced to drink or she was drugged even after they were kidnapped. And it's three guys involved. But I think they went to like interview one of the... um, they interviewed the wait staff, I think, and nobody seemed to remember this. But of course, like if you're waiting tables at one or two in the morning, do you remember anything? Right. Like, especially <sighs> a diner, there's so many people that like come and go. The, the the weird thing about this is, is that if they all three, I mean, mm-hmm. I guess they all three were taken, I would presume by the same person. I feel like that motherly instinct would really kick in and i'm sure it did kick in if they were all three together but oh god it just feels so strange that like they like weren't wouldn't be found like the mom wouldn't somehow kind of like fight to the death to and 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 so to me it does kind of indicate there had to be power in numbers for sure you mean like multiple men for sure? Yeah, yeah. Because I feel yeah. like if it was just one, like, and I'm not saying because I know you said that people are like, oh, why wouldn't they have fought them off? Um, but I'm just talking about like if just the mom, I think, would have been like, listen, I want you two to get out of this and I'm going to figure this out, like come hell or high water, you know, yeah, just well, that maternal I, instinct would kick in. Who would be after the mom, though? That's what I can't really figure out in this scenario. Yeah. Like for what reason? Because she's just, I mean, there was no evidence that she was involved in anything sketchy. She didn't have any major deaths or anything. She didn't even have any like bad boyfriends that were reported. It was just, she was just like a local, like hairstylist. She was like very well liked by people. Well, it could have been a stalker. It could have been somebody that she did their hair. I mean, what are the statistics on that? Like, how often is it that people are actually stalked to the point where they're kidnapped and murdered? Though, well, that seems well, you so know, incredibly this- rare. This whole case has been making me think of Brian Koberger. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Why? Just because it's so like the two girls that were out in the middle of the night mm-hmm. and we still do I do we ever get the link between like was he on a dating app and saw one of them or something? Like did we ever actually determine how he found them? 
that what has come out it's crazy because like the more details that come out about that case this is about the Idaho um stabbings for anyone who's not familiar but the more details that came out the more confusing it got for me mm-hmm. like I'm still not even following how like Dylan the roommate was connected because there was a whole thing about how she like saw him in the apartment but like froze up or something or stayed in the oh, room I until the next that. day like yeah it was like but she saw him like confirmed that like she saw him attacking one of the girls or something but didn't call 911 like it's a very I can't really understand like what actually happened I'm gonna need like a a doc to come out later on that can piece together some of like what this story is because he's still perpetuating lies in the courtroom I mean he's like trying to get off death row that's so but the thing that's reminding me of it is that it was so strange it was like what is the link between why this guy would go and kill these two young girls and their friends who were oh, kind of right, collateral, right. basically. And it's like, you know, I, I I certainly think that it was, if I had to guess, like either someone became very interested in one of the two girls at that graduation party and then mm-hmm. the mom became collateral or someone was randomly interested in the mom and got there and then saw you know that there were two other girls there and, and they became to... they became witnesses basically yeah. so they had yeah. to come as well mm-hmm. cuz i could totally see what you're saying like let's say they were going after the mom and they abducted the mom but the girls had to come because they were collateral they had seen their faces and the mom is sort of trying to bargain with these men she's like take me don't harm these girls they've done nothing and they're like they've already seen who we are yeah it's too late yeah you're all done but the the question is is like what is the reason that's a very concerted effort. And it's, I don't even know what story it tells that there's no evidence of a struggle. Were they held at gunpoint? Well, probably held at gunpoint, or they might have known the person. And so they thought it would be safe to kind of downplay and go with them. I mean, maybe they thought that they could, you know, mm-hmm. persuade them. You know, it's so interesting. I'm remembering now. Um, there was a little piece of evidence that they they weren't sure if this was connected, but somehow, somewhere, there was like a little piece of paper, like a note crumpled up that was found. And I'm going to paraphrase. I'm forgetting exactly what it said. But it said something to the effect of like a plan. It was like the plan is to say gas company. Some people, it was never officially connected to the case. I will say that. But there are some people who were like, no, that could absolutely be connected to the case. Maybe that is a part of a master plan. That the only way you could like enter somebody's home without force in the middle of the night is if you showed up posing as like an emergency worker from the gas company to say there's a gas leak in your home. We have a report that we have to come into your home because you have a major mm-hmm. gas leak. That's it's far fetched, but yeah. The thing is, like, a lot of people, myself included, would be really susceptible to something like that, especially in the middle of the night. Somebody knocks on your door at two or three in the morning. They're in uniform and they say there's an emergency in your home. There is a gas leak. We have to come in to turn off your gas. We're turning them off for all your neighbors. You might let them through your door. Your guard would be totally down. That would be crazy if that's actually what happened. But I mean, yeah, I would fall for it. Absolutely. That's the thing. Like people, uniform is so disarming for a lot of people, but it's a way that a lot of people can actually get past an entrance point. You can, you will let them into your space when you assume they're a trusted person, especially when it's not even like a cop or something. It's someone, it's so niche. It's someone from the gas company. Like who thinks of that? Mm-hmm. Also, I- how do we explain the bulb smashed on the porch? I feel like there's some, there's something there we're missing. Well, maybe what they were trying to do was make it as dark as possible and did they actually smash the light no that's the thing light bulb was not smashed it was just it was just the the glass like yeah bulb like the the bowl that goes around the bulb yeah well i mean they could have been pulling the the women out and then just to cover their tracks maybe they smashed the bulb and or maybe before they went in the house they smashed the thing thinking that's going to break the light and then they didn't hit it hard enough but to me that would seem like you were doing that on your way out because if you're doing that on your way in 
or or actually you could do it and then you didn't smash it and then you don't want to risk smashing it again and alerting somebody. Hmm. That's interesting. So almost like they were coming in trying to just like take out the light so that they couldn't like people couldn't look out the front door to see who's out there sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I see that. I don't know. There's just there's something about that detail that I found strange. That and the blinds, I'm like Something was going on, I think, on the outside of the home where, like, people were circling or something. But also Mm -hmm. it told me that clearly, I mean, it sounded like the women were up and awake still. Like, one of them was reading. One had the TV on, it seemed like. Even though they were in bed, it sounded like they were still awake. There's something else about the fact that they had taken off their makeup and all their jewelry and they were like, Like, they clearly were, I mean, I guess this is obvious. They were not anticipating anybody else coming into the home that evening. But, like, if we're going with the idea, I don't know, that those men had, like, come back with them or something or, like, escorted them back. I think that that, you know, that's kind of, I'm throwing that out. Um, I kind of want to talk about the dog. (laughs) Like, I know that it it was, like, you know, scared in the corner, but... Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, it's fun. It's funny because I feel like if a dog comes, if if a stranger comes into the house, mm-hmm. the dog's gonna go, you know, like crazy, and that would have alerted neighbors. But if they knew the person and somehow had been just terrified because they had mm-hmm. been like smacked or watched you know, they're loved. I mean, dogs are so perceptive, like watched their owner get like taken out. Yeah. Um, I will say it's a small dog too. It's not a big dog. Very okay. small dog, like a terrier. Okay. Sometimes it's the small ones that have the biggest bark. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I was like, I mean, God forbid it's a chihuahua, like the whole neighborhood would know. <laughs> right, right. But there is something here. I mean, just speaking of theories and suspects, I, I want to talk about this guy named Dustin Reckla, because I think this is interesting to bring up. So he is, I was saying how like Susie before, she was known to run with like a few rough guys. He is a former boyfriend of Susie. They, I think were like off. They were no longer like dating at this point, but he has a criminal record because this is sick when you get this. He broke into the Springfield mausoleum a few months prior to this disappearance. (laughs) And he basically stole like broke into graves and was trying to steal gold teeth from skulls <gasps> isn't that crazy <laughs> to I, when i read that i was like that's actually sinister like that's that's sinister stuff to be playing with a corpse to yank out gold teeth like girl work at the kroger like what are we doing okay do we really have to look any further <laughs> okay potential? okay that's what i'm saying i'm like yeah <laughs> That, so like <laughs> this is child's play for him going well, in and yeah, breaking in yeah breaking into a mausoleum and what's crazy i was reading in the um the police report about it he only got 30 dollars worth of gold fillings and i'm like all that for 30 oh. bucks worth of fillings please so police originally they had suspected him they looked at Rekla because um again like he was tied in with Susie streeter and i think there was also I think there was a rumor that went around that he, at the time when he would do some of these, these like vandalisms, things like this, he was often seen with two other friends, two friends that I think mm. actually helped him in the mausoleum robbery. So that kind of tied into the witness statement to me of these like strangers who saw like these three women, one of them who's blackout drunk, and these three mystery men at this diner. Because here's the thing he was going to be going to court for this mausoleum break-in. And I think Susie was tapped to testify. Interesting. Oh, and so do it, we know yeah. if he was at that party? I don't. There's no, I don't think so, because I think he actually put forward an alibi or something. There was something that, like, tied him up where he's like, I didn't see her all night or anything, but it's his word against, like, I mean, I think Janelle would have said something. Yeah. For sure, if, like, he was there. But also, I don't think he would have been there because at this point, they're clearly separated to the point where Susie is like going to testify against the guy in court, right? Yeah. And I guess also 
how would he have known unless he had followed them that they were going to wait hold on they were at Susie's house though right yes oh well then that makes sense that he would like if he knew that she was out at a party that night because they were originally supposed to stay at the other girl's house right right yeah so that would make sense that he would happen to because we keep saying like how would they know that they were going to go to Susie's house well, he mm-hmm. would have he would have thought like, I hope she had, you know, didn't hang out with anybody at her graduation party. If he's still kind of like in the mix um, and knew about the big graduation party, who knows? He could have showed up at Susie's house that night. That would kind of check out. He could have. I mean, it would have been opportunistic. It definitely throws the whole gas man theory out. I think um, it could definitely have been a thing where like him and like these two goons were like breaking into the home. It would have been somewhat opportunistic because again they weren't really supposed to be there that night like they were already going to be in branson missouri come like midnight it was just a a a thing where they're like oh we're going to stay at janelle's oh actually we're going to go back to Susie's place so it might have been the case where he was following them and he planned to like follow them even to branson and like do it there and it just like Mm -hmm. happens happened to be that plans changed but i can't imagine that he would go as far as to like kidnap and kill three women just so one would not testify against him in like a vandalism case that's pretty egregious that's insane yeah well unless there was really intense like obsession with Susie. like it's very possible um you would think between those three men like one of them would have cracked though right yeah i mean i would think so but (laughs) i mean you're dealing with a grave robber i well <laughs> and he's like a teenage grave robber too which yeah is crazy. yeah like that's a sick kid but i think once the fbi got involved there was something that kind of discredited this where they're like it, it looks like the puzzle pieces fit but it's it's not a match kind of but mm. there are still some people who to this day they firmly believe that he's the guy he's the one it could have even been that maybe he was the perpetrator and these two guys that were like his grave robbing like buddies, his goons, they weren't the two that he brought with him for the abduction. Those could have been like legit hitmen or like guys that ran in a rougher circle. Sure. So then we get this last little piece of information. So this is in 1997. We have this man. His name is Robert Craig Cox. He is imprisoned in Texas as a convicted kidnapper and robber. And he was a suspect in a separate murder, a Florida murder. He told journalists that he knew the three women, and that he knew that they had been murdered and they had been buried, and he claimed that their bodies would never be recovered. In 19... 19- <laughs> Did you hear this car riffing up? Oh, my God. <laughs> there is something in the air. I'm Baby, let me tell you, the goons are surrounding your apartment tonight. You better call... Don't call county, but you better <laughs> keep your wits about call- you. <laughs> Seriously. God... <laughs> My brain is also like fried too. I'm like hanging on by a thread here. Oh God. So this guy, Robert Cox, in 1992, Cox had been living in Springfield. So he was actually living in the town the year that this happened. And he had told investigators that he was with his girlfriend at church the morning after the women disappeared. So the morning of June 7th, which was corroborated by the girlfriend. However, She, once he's imprisoned, later recanted her statement and said that she was pressured by him to say that in the moment. She said that she did not know where he was the night before and the morning after. Cox also stated that he was at the home of his parents the night of the disappearance, which, of course, was discredited by the alibi or the missing alibi. Authorities were very uncertain if Cox could have been involved in this case, um, even though he seemed like somebody who would have the propensity to do something like this. And he certainly was within close proximity to these women. But it seemed more so like a case of a false confession to seek recognition, right? Because Mm -hmm. once they would press him on, I think they were pressing him on additional statements. They're like, okay, well, what about this? What about this? He said, I won't reveal anything else until my mother passes away, basically. He's like, I won't talk about the three women until my mother is dead, so she doesn't have to hear about the atrocities I've done. And they're like, okay, buddy, we think that you're like kind of full of it. But he did give one piece of information that I thought was kind of interesting. 
so he had always talked about how he knew the women were buried for a fact. He's like, I know where they're buried and that they're buried, but I had nothing to do with it. Now, this sort of segues into some credible tips that come through about some local lore, where people seem to think that in this county or in this area, this is like years after, that these women, all three are buried under this specific parking garage for whatever reason, like underneath the foundation. They were buried there and it went up like a year after the women went missing. Now, this seemed credible enough that there were actually engineers who went to this parking garage and they used some kind of like radar tech to see if there were any abnormal burials that were underneath the foundation. To their shock, they found three abnormal, uh, basically six-foot-long plots underneath the parking garage, which this engineer thinks could be graves. The three women. And they have never been granted permission to basically blow up and like dig up the parking garage foundation to see whether or not there are actually bodies that are buried underneath there. So to this day, it's still an unknown. Oh, how weird. Isn't that, I mean, like, and then we've got these engineers, legit engineers who go up and they're like, no, we, we tried like, we tried to use radar on the foundation. There are three distinct plots underneath this foundation. There's something down there. Okay, the other three. Well, that's very strange. The other really strange thing I that just came to my mind is sorry to double back and go to was it Dustin? Oh, the boyfriend? Yes. It was Dustin. Good memory. Wouldn't wouldn't a guy that robs graves Mm kind of know where to bury bodies? But but what would his motive have been? Just that absolutely no idea. Yeah. Just maybe like stalker vibes had an interest in the, one of the girls. I, I guess. I mean, no money was taken. So I don't think money is the reason for it. There's no evidence that they had like bad blood with anyone outside of Dustin, I guess, because Susie was going to testify against him. I guess maybe there could have been secrets in the mother's life that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. It's very mysterious. The whole thing. I, it's crazy. I hadn't really heard of it because there are docs and like movies on this. It's very big. Yeah, this is this is really I don't know why I feel like close to like something here just in the sense that because they didn't take anything, mm-hmm. it feels like all that person or persons wanted was to be close to one of those three women. So to me, there's it's definitely somebody that they would have known. Like it just feels like it wouldn't have been some random like mm-hmm. this guy feels a little bit like less off the money to me just because I don't know how close he was. Now he could have been very close with like the mom or somebody, but I definitely feel like whoever did this had an interest in one of them. And then, I mean, they all three kind of sounded like they kind of fit the same interest type. He could have been following her for weeks. Yeah. Because I feel like the mind of a stalker is like just somebody that wants to possess something. So Mm -hmm. like, I definitely think that there was some sort of like stalking situation here. Remember the, uh, the Michelle Von Emster case. Remember that? Oh God. Um, remind me. That was also, that that was a mysterious death of the, it was, it looked like a shark attack, but it also, Oh yes. Yes. But there were a lot of instances of people saying like, she was, she claimed she had a stalker and then everybody like kind of chalked up. They're like, well, Nobody actually knows if that was legit, but then somebody came in to like a Staples or something or like the the office where she worked. I think it was a Staples and they made a printout of her autopsy report and it was a guy on a motorcycle who kind of fit the profile of who she said was stalking her months prior. So weird. Stalkers are really weird. Very strange. And that's why I was saying the Brian Koberger thing, because to me, I know that we still the <laughs> details on that case are so weird. But I, he, I feel like he must have had some sort of stalker sort of connection to one of those girls, because mm-hmm. I don't know why else you would kind of. Although I guess the other component was that he was studying forensics and we were saying that maybe he had just like a break, but he was trying to stage the perfect murder or whatever. But it just felt very like stalker vibes. Like why? You know, No, I I agree. I think 
that was part of what made that case so chilling was that the lack of motive or a senseless motive was just hard for us to wrap our heads around. Like people Mm -hmm. truly can be opportunistic and say, I want to see how it feels to kill somebody and break into a home in the middle of the night and stab you. Mm-hmm. That's that's a terrifying thing for people to wrap their heads around. I think that's why it caught so much traction. And I still, like I said, I still don't have clarity on what actually prompted it. Like what actually happened in that home? Yeah. We should revisit that case actually, like a year after. Yeah, we should. Uh, have, has he been on trial yet? Um, He's, yeah, he's, I mean, I, I see, I kind of like loosely follow the case now, but again, it's still pretty confusing. So I'm trying to wait and see and play this game where I'm like, I want to see when all of the details are sort of laid out and presented. But right now, I think they're kind of negotiating to try to get him off death row or put forward a story of insanity. But the house I do know has been demolished. Oh, I did see that. Yeah, they took it down. County. <sighs> County. That's a good place so we could end, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Always good to end on county. I mean, they truly, I I don't know how much more they could have. Well, they probably could have gotten a lot, actually. I mean, even if they save stuff for evidence that later could have been tested for DNA, it just sucks that so much of it was compromised at the hands of, you know, not only the families who probably meant no harm, but also the people who were actually trained to do the opposite and started cleaning things. It's frustrating because I think by the time the FBI stepped in, they probably could have solved this or probably could have gotten at least closer. It's insane because there have been like 5,000 tips on this case in 30 years. They've never found those women. That's so weird. And and no, yeah, no bodies or anything. My God. No bodies, no evidence of where they went. Again, no struggle. Like all we've got is a broken light on the porch. Weird. Very odd. But Stu, baby, that's all I got for you, honey. Was that a lot? We, we, we are back to disappearances. Yeah, I, I, I'm I very glad we did a disappearances because, you know, Again, I'm she's be, glad you hear that. You I'm going to be thinking, oh. thrilled, excited and glad. Well, you ask me, you're like, what do you want? Survival? <laughs> oh God, know, paranormal? What? No, I know. But it's no. I thought about, you know, what's crazy? Glad. I want this to have closure. Like, God. I do. Well, it's like I said, it's a pretty big case. It's very well known, I think, in certain circles. I'm sure it's very well known in Missouri. I'm sure it's told as lore. But yeah, it's it's just mind boggling to me, like how little can actually be left behind and how damaging that can be. Like when a case has so little to go on, every single element of what's there is precious. Like we (laughs) and it's it's multiple people's faults right like it's like Mm -hmm. the mother coming in and accidentally deleting the message on the answering machine it's because that could have been a ransom message or something i think it would have been clear to her if it was but it could have been valuable deleting that compromising the scene cleaning the scene big nose big nose cracks become craters baby cracks become craters and with that this crack is gonna go (laughs) i don't know (laughs) baby know what <laughs> None of that in 2024. <sighs> I am so be okay. We're wrapping creepers. I want to say thank you for listening to another episode of Creep Time, the podcast. Thank you so much for always sticking around to the very end of the episode because this is when Stu and I get to come down a little bit and relax. So please make sure if you do want to come down from this case to check out a uh, episode of Creep Time After Dark right after this show, which is going to premiere on Saturday. And with that. Stu, shall we say it? Shall we say goodbye? And good luck. Goodbye, everybody. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye, creepers.